Aloha, Warriors. Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the aspiring servant warrior. I have with me a man who knows how to assure that everything is going as planned. What's up, Mr. Kevin Cole? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, Good. Mr. Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny is is I've I've been doing my uh, this is a thing and when I was a Star Wars fan way before I ever got that nickname. I usually watch the original trilogy around this time of year. It's my non-holiday uh, tradition, holiday tradition. Nice. Um, and of course, I can't watch a single fucking instance of The Emperor without thinking about training with you. <laughs> yes, everything is going according <laughs> to plan. <laughs> awesome. My, That's funny. Which it's which also is really cool because that, that whole kind of anchoring of chaining of memories together is there was um, – you were talking about like post-hypnetic suggestions. So just for anybody who doesn't know, um, I any of the NLP or hypnosis stuff that I learned, probably an 85, 90% chance I learned it from this guy. Uh, Kevin's been uh, messing with people's minds for decades. Uh, <laughs> like you've been doing all kinds of stuff for what? How long? You, when did you get into that stuff? Uh, I've been involved with it for over 24 years now. I guess I should be saying almost over 25 years now because it's a yeah, quarter into a century of experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that said, first seven years really was for my own personal development. I wasn't really uh, attempting to get into other people's heads too much um, in the beginning. Uh, if anything, I was probably annoying him a little bit in the beginning. He's like, oh, this stuff's working so well for me. Were you, you the guy at parties like, hey, have you ever been hypnotized? Uh, not, not quite like that. But I was like, <laughs> oh, you got a problem? I got the answer. I got the fix. You know, and, and but then I learned pretty fast that that, that annoys people. <laughs> so, so you're saying not to NLP on people is what you're saying. Exactly. We NLP with people. We don't NLP on people. Very, very uh, important distinction. So we'll, we'll we'll tell people what NLP is in a second, but I, I have to um, because they're like, "What the?" Uh, um, but I was thinking, so the 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 chain of memories together. So of course, you know, I've, I've very solidly linked Star Wars and training with you. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, you're a way nicer guy than Emperor Palpatine was depicted as. So don't you're, that part's good. Not everybody agrees with that, but but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you bought me a margarita. I'd be hard hard pressed to ask uh, a guy who is able to send lightning at me if I piss him off to buy me a margarita. So fair enough. Um, but uh, so I linking Star Wars training with you, and then of course that also remind. I don't know what it was, uh, what day it was. Um, I think it must have been during Master Prac because there were fewer people in the class. And I had been your example. And then you were doing this thing where you were doing like a and it made me think of like a lightsaber thing. I don't I don't even know if you had a toy lightsaber that day, but I literally could not stop laughing. Yeah, I, I was just this. I, I, it was as if I, I've never actually done mushrooms, um, but it, it uh, not yet, you know, probably yeah. something someday. But it, it makes me think of friends of mine that I've been around that have been on mushrooms and the uncontrollable amount of laughter that they experience. Mm-hmm. And I was experiencing that with zero, uh, you know, pharmacological influence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if memory serves, it was pro- I think that was a sliding anchor that I did on you. Um which for for simple terms is just uh, it's kind of a external external stimulus, which is just simply a touch, uh, like on your arm, if, if which is where I usually do it. Um, 
And just having that kind of anchor in some, I, I think some, well, usually when that happens, it's because somebody starts laughing maybe and maybe because i actually say something that's funny <laughs> which happens every hey, you've once been in a known while to, to, to have a joke from time <laughs> to time exactly um and then there's just ways of just turning that up and, and recognizing that when i'm when i'm doing that with somebody they're they're in hypnosis they're in trance so they're they're more they're when we're in hypnosis we're more open to humor it's one of the reasons I love hypnosis so much because I'm not that funny, but but in hypnosis, so that's I the re- that's the real reason that you got into hypnosis because your your failed attempt at being a stand up comedian. Exactly, exactly, and you know, so it's just easier to make people laugh. Um, so yeah, if memory serves, that that's probably what uh, what we were doing. But I, it it still uh, sticks out. In my anytime I get uncontrollable laugh fits, of course, you know, like okay. Yeah, th- th- those moments exist, you know. Yeah. Um, but so for those who don't know, uh, what does NLP stand for uh, as opposed to natural language processing for our, our nerds and programmers out there? Yeah. Uh, you know, great question, especially that distinction, because I forget that it also stands for natural language and processing. But, uh, but nonetheless, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. That makes sense to everybody listening, right? <laughs> of, course, of course not. Um, it, for simple terms, the way I like to phrase it is that neurolinguistic programming is a methodology that really was structured, really developed in the mid-1970s to 80s to, to, you know, to current times. Um, but it's not necessarily anything brand new. It's just that some really intelligent people uh, got together and really started asking asking what do certain people do that are the best the best at what they do and how do they do it and and they started with uh, with uh, uh, therapists uh, psychotherapists in the very beginning uh, one of them being uh, a psychiatrist by the name of Milton Erickson another one being a woman by the name of Virginia Satir who was a phenomenal family therapist um, and another one by the name of Fritz Perls who was also a family uh, what's called gestalt therapist um, which is kind of outdated at this point but it served its served its purpose in its day um, and it started by just modeling them with this quote-unquote neurolinguistic programming and a, a process of understanding what people do when they do it excellent that they're both conscious of, that they can teach consciously, but even more important, even more valuable are the things that they were unconsciously competent of. And it just developed into this gigantic toolbox uh, known as NLP um, that continues to evolve by continuing to to model excellence in countless different areas. Again, it started in the very beginning, the very beginning with with therapy, but it evolved into sports enhancement, sales, um, uh, you know, parenting. I mean, you name it. Anybody. Steve Jobs never used it at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> You know, he never studied influence. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, uh, you know, in a in a nutshell, it's I like to refer to it as a user's manual for your brain. Um, it's really much more than that, but it's you know, for simplicity, um, I, I look at it as that as a user's manual for your brain that we were never really given. Um, and by the way, I do like to point out that 
again, so many of the techniques in NLP, they're not brand new. They've been around since the beginning of time, but we haven't understood them. We haven't understood how they worked and we haven't understood this, excuse me, the science behind them. Whereas NLP brought a lot more of the science to explain and say, so this is, this is how this works. Um, and as far as a methodology for helping people to make rapid change, I honestly don't know of a better, faster way of doing it than NLP. Um, there's lots of new things that come out that, you know, anybody that knows anything about NLP, they'd be like, that's totally NLP. They're just rebranding as a different name, different term. But, uh, but yeah. 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 So what's the difference and the overlap and maybe there isn't much of one between NLP and hypnosis. Oh, uh, yeah, there's tons of overlap. And I always like to say, technically, technically, you could do hypnosis without NLP. But you can't really do most NLP without hypnosis because it, it naturally guide most, not all, but most NLP techniques naturally guide people into a hypnotic state. Um if memory serves, I probably didn't do a formal hypnotic induction with you when we had you laughing like a like a five year old girl. <laughs> why, why? Well, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm secure in my gender identity. <laughs> um, well, I, I do know that you, we, of course, obviously, and I have experienced, you know, um, you know, basic Ericksonian hypnosis, which. You know, yours, your classes and your, your training is usually much broader than that. But you, you got into some classical hypnosis at least one or two days of that training. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and that's that's important for any NLP practitioner to know uh, traditional inductions mainly, uh, really mainly from a, from a marketing point of view. And what do I mean specifically by that? Um, if I just marketed myself as an NLP practitioner as opposed to a hypnotherapist, I would not have nearly as much business because most people don't know what the heck NLP is. Um, I use a ton of hypno, excuse me, a ton of uh, NLP in my hypnosis, in my hypnotherapy. Um, but I, you know, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I market more of the the hypnotherapy side of things. And when people are in my office, they're expecting traditional inductions of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I don't do that, then they're going to be like, oh, I, I thought there was going to be, you know, something, some going down a staircase or something, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, I do. Uh, I do think it's very important to understand uh, very traditional hypnosis along with NLP techniques. And I think it's incredibly valuable for those that just study traditional hypnosis to to learn some NLP techniques. These days, it's pretty hard not to. I don't think I know. of. I have yet. Yeah, I don't. No. I'm just trying to think of all the people I know. Uh, many of them I know through you, but um, the people I know that do hypnosis. I don't know of anybody who doesn't do both. Yeah. That does one of them. Yeah. I, I can't think of, uh, I, I, I could technically, I could think of one or two that still kind of teach something very, very, well, you know, like and they, scripted hypnosis. You, definitely. Yeah. yeah I, I yeah. bet you though, that even the people who claim to use strictly classical hypnosis are unconsciously using NLP in their sales presentations, unconsciously using NLP in a whole bunch of areas. Yeah. And, and in fairness, uh, you know, there's a lot of, it's hard for me to say exactly what percentage, but uh, for simplicity, I'll say at least 20% of NLP 
Uh, also, it, you know, traditional hypnosis was already doing it. Um, there's a lot of things, uh, you know, um, try to think of a good example. Um, well, timeline work as a, as a very good example, yeah. actually, um, you know, timeline work was modeled from regression. Um, you know, it didn't just come out of thin air. It, it was modeled from regression. I think it's a much better way of doing traditional regression. I'm not, I'm not such a big fan of always doing the 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 regress to cause thing and always i'm not i'm not that well, big and so, of that, well you're big on you're and i you know please tell me if you want to leave some of this secretive you know not in all the details but one of the things that you do in your i guess you refer to as time quest mostly so that mm-hmm. you know your your legal problems are simple <laughs> um uh that you're, you're big on not re-traumatizing the client yeah go figure <laughs> you know i mean like so like like, like you I don't like traumatizing on, people go figure um well you know and, and you know and you talk you know um you talk about you have, you know, kind of a, some very distinct methods for keeping them safe yes. uh, and, and, and comfortable, even visiting difficult times. Um, and certainly use that method with me. I mean, as in addition to training with you, you've also done some sessions with me mm-hmm. and um, we visited some pretty intensely uncomfortable places, mm-hmm. but you were able to conceptually, you kept me from, freaking out when we went there. Yeah. Um, it's with you and with all of my clients, I, I have a very specific criteria, which is to help people to overcome their challenges and achieve their goals with as little pain as possible, as much pleasure as possible, as quickly as possible without rushing things, uh, and as efficiently as possible. Um, and yeah, if, uh, with, with you and just about anyone that I, I have go down memory lane and do any kind of regression type thing, um, before we, before we even go near any stuff like that, I helped you to feel amazing. I helped you to feel empowered. I helped you to feel really good. Um, and there it's, it's very different than traditional, traditional regression, very traditional regression, which I've, I, I learned that was some of my core training. Sure. Um, um, I trained with one of the one of the pioneers in in regression therapy, the regression hypnotherapy, um, by the name of Gil Boyne, and I'm I'm grateful for that because I learned some really valuable things from him, and some of them I still use. Um, but he was very big on what's called uh, affect bridge. An affect bridge traditionally is, for example, you know, uh, you know, if I said like, okay, in a moment when I count from one to three, you're going to be re-experiencing blah 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 blah, and he would take people right into that those traumatic events, um, and they would very unpleasant, I imagine, for the person experiencing it during it. Yeah, very unpleasant. Um, and there's some that still do this, and I don't, you know, I, I I'll just be blunt and say, you know, I don't like that approach. I, I'm I'm not a fan of it. Um, can it be a, a useful tool? It can be an incredibly useful tool. It can be a life-changing tool, honestly. But it's not necessary to put them through any kind of pain like that, even for a short period of time. It's just not necessary. Simply put, uh, it, first of all, uh, I don't think that we always need to regress people by any shape of the imagination. There are some schools of thought that says that you always need to regress to cause, blah, 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 blah. Um, I couldn't disagree with that more. Um I think it's very useful to take people down memory lane and help them to change the way they feel about things. 
But again, not until not until you've helped them to feel amazing in the present and, you know, kind of uh, continue with, the, as you mentioned, time quest, my my methodology, my particular brand and methodology of timeline work um, forward slash regression work is uh, what I call time quest transformation. Um, and one of the first things that I do uh, is that, well, first of all, just through literally decades of experience um, of paying attention to to the people in front of me, both, you know, one-on-one clients and groups of people in trainings and just people in life in general. Uh, somewhere along the lines, it just became really clear to me that the two core emotions, the two core emotions that are at the root of what most of our challenges are, most of our challenges, just things where like we keep doing the same things over and over again, people keep getting in the same unhealthy relationships, they keep having anxiety over this, that or the other, um, you know, you name it. Uh, the majority of the time, the core of what it really is that we're wanting and or needing emotionally, this might sound fluffy to some people, but it's still true, is self-love and or forgiveness. Forgiveness of ourselves and or others. And I want to, were you going to say something? Oh, keep, 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 finish it all. Oh, I'll, sure. I'll circle back. Uh, and when, not always, but most of the time, if I'm going to, if I want to use time quest transformation to, to help somebody overcome the emotional charge to something in their past and help them change the way they feel about it, along with learn any important lessons that they may need to learn, which I'll get into in a moment, uh, especially if you remind me, so I don't have a little, little ADD. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I have those moments myself, so this should make things for make for very interesting non sequiturs and rabbit trails. Good deal. We'll we'll figure it out together. Nonetheless, um, so with the so I want to help them to experience those two emotions even before going down memory lane, and oftentimes instead of going down memory lane. Um, because the thing is that if we just go down memory lane and then just, you know, quote unquote, remember a bunch of things that, that, that you know, traumatic things, which by the way, our memory, especially distance memory is never a hundred percent accurate. Um, so you're saying that if I remember that I was Superman when I was three, <laughs> that that means that I'm remembering it correctly? Uh, that, that maybe, perhaps, perhaps. It could have been a past life. It could have been a past life. Sure, yeah, right. Yeah, it could have been a past life. But there's no um, possible <laughs> way of misremembering anything ever? Yes, exactly. We, we, that we actually misremember things, if that's even a proper term, misremember. Um, Double plus good. <laughs> We remet, we misremember things more often than we remember them correctly. And that's just the truth. Um, and if you want self-evidence of that, just ask yourself, if you have any siblings or anything like that for when you were a kid and you remember something exactly one way, but your brother, sister, parent, whatever, they're like, no, that didn't happen that way at all. It happened this way. Who's right? Probably both of you are at least a little bit wrong. Um, and that doesn't mean that you're entirely wrong. There's, there's probably both of you are at least a little bit right as well. Um, but nonetheless, um, that's something in regards to uh, any kind of regression. It's important to know and it's important to educate our clients about um, because it's not about uh, it, it's not about learning the truth, quote unquote, of what happened. It's about helping us to change the way we feel about it. And uh, again, do I think it's always necessary? No. As a matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say I don't think it's ever needed. 
But wow, can it be so, so beneficial and so literally, you know, literally life-changing um, in regards to just, uh, you know, I, I remember the first time that I experienced something like that. And I thought, I thought that I had already, you know, changed the way I felt about everything. I was so much better because, and I stayed very much in the present moment with, with so much of my personal change. But when I really got to experience what it was like to, in my mind, go down memory lane and give myself all of the resources, the yep. emotions that I wanted and or needed, wow, is it so incredibly life-changing. I remember, literally, I remember calling a friend of mine, um, uh, it was at a, uh, a kind of a, a seminar that I was at and we experienced this, we experienced it as a group. And I remember uh, during a break calling a friend of mine, and this is literally what I said to him. I said, I'm being brainwashed and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> 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 and I have since then evolved that term brainwashed to brain cleanse. And, and the, although it is interesting that, I mean, we don't have to get into it now. We can, mm -hmm. uh, certainly, uh, since you brought up the concept of brainwashing, mm -hmm. um, you know, cult leaders use this type of methodology sometimes in influencing people. We can, I, I want to make sure you get an opportunity to, to finish your thought if you have any on, on time questing, but, uh, yeah, as, as people are leaning into their, their speakers now and like, what, whoa, what are they talking about now here? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, just simply put, just closing the loop on, on the time quest transformation. Um, I'll close the loop by, by sharing a quote from a quantum physicist, interestingly enough, by the name of uh, Max Planck, who he's well known for making the statement or the, the quote, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. And I like to take that quote, give him full credit for it, because otherwise people would know, but, <laughs> but and, and, and modify it slightly and say that when we change the way we feel about things, Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Oh, excuse me. When we change the way we look at things, the way we feel about them change. Let me repeat that more linearly. His original quote is, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. I like to modify that slightly and say, when we change the way we look at things, including taking people down memory lane and really give themselves the emotions that they wanted and or needed at that time, it totally changes it. It takes away the emotional charge where there was trauma in the past, where they felt traumatized, they no longer do. Oftentimes, oftentimes they actually feel grateful. I don't mean literally grateful that like, oh yeah, let's do that again. Let's go through that trauma again. But because they feel so good in the present moment and change the way they feel about the past, they, they literally like, well, I wouldn't want to go through that again, but I'm glad it happened because I'm here now and I'm feeling so good. Um, and that's, uh, you know, again, just kind of closing the loop. That's, that's what time quest transformation and many forms of timeline work and other kinds of, uh, NLP methodologies are, are all about. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so on to, uh, brainwashing and leading a cult. <laughs> there we go. Here we go. Let me get the, well, get the emperor voice now. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so because, uh, you know, some people are thinking, well, some of this, you know, the, the, you know, we have some uh, more famous examples of uh, tillage evangelists and things like that, you know, um, 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I'm <laughs> those people who are listening to the episode released today, uh, as we record this, you know, it was all about religion and stuff. And so people can ascribe things to God that are oftentimes based on their experience and have maybe less direct spiritual, spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a matter of interpretation. And then of course you had people like, you know, John Mesmer and, you know, all, all manner of people over, you know, certainly recent history, but I'm sure a lot of the, the cults of antiquity work in a similar uh, methodology. Um, but maybe you can speak to that instead of me pontificating for longer. Uh, give me a question with that because I don't know what direction to okay. go with that. <laughs> All right. So let's 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 dial it in. Yeah. Um, I I can go on rabbit trails too. Um, what what part does NLP play? Because you were talking about about brainwashing mm-hmm. and conditioning people to a. Um, I know you've said that hypnosis can't make you do anything you don't really want to do. Uh, at least, at least that's, I mean, you may not have said it exactly, but that's kind of the common idea. Mm-hmm. That being said, NLP can certainly condition you to a way of thinking to the extent you're willing to cooperate with it. Yeah. Where does, how does that play in? And then, you know, odd experiences and memory and ascribing meaning to things. Very, very good questions. Very good questions. Very controversial questions. I like it. <laughs> so, um, no, we do the difficult and scary here. <laughs> Um, first of all, I stand by that. Yeah, you cannot make somebody do something they don't want to do with just hypnosis or just NLP. Now that said, you can lie to people, you can threaten people, you can, uh, you you know, you can do all kinds of things to make people do. It's not hard. It is not hard to make somebody do something they don't want to do. That's actually really easy. If you lie to them, if you, if you threaten them, all those sorts of things, none of those are NLP or hypnosis that's lying and that's threatening. Um, that said, yes, there are, uh, there always has been really, uh, uh, cults, if you will, um, that do the combination of these things that will lie to people that will threaten people in different ways. Um, and yes, will influence them with, with language, um, you know, NLP, neuro linguistic language, uh, programming. Um, they, there are definitely ways of, uh, you know, I'm not going to make this a, uh, you know, how to start a cult. Kevin Cole's guide to starting a cult. <laughs> but if you wanted to, yes, just lie and threaten people. It's, it, it'll, it'll, it'll work out for you. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, um, you know, certain things like, uh, I think you may have mentioned conditioning. Absolutely. And I, I, I won't even say most, I would say just, I would say every single cult and I could get really controversial and say that, that, you know, some well-respected religions and I'm not saying they're cults. I'm not going that far. Um, but I will say that absolutely they do use conditioning. Um, uh, and these are not necessarily bad things, meaning specifically using tech, using tools, techniques well, to, of, of conditioning of language and all these things. These are not bad things. These are things I do every single day. Go ahead. Right. There's an overlap between like meditative practices and, and hypnosis too. So, that, you know, if you have a, you know, like, I, cause I've done a, a little bit of, um, you know, uh, Zen meditation, real basic stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and I found that the, the mental state I, I, uh, find myself in is not 
unlike a hypnotic trance? Uh, absolutely. Um, meditation and the and trance are, in my opinion, pretty synonymous. Um, that said, meditation and hypnosis are not necessarily hip, uh, not necessarily synonymous. Um, hypnosis tends to be much more goal oriented. For example, um, hypnosis uses that trance like quote unquote meditative type state. But it uses it not just for relaxation, although it can certainly be used for that. Um, it's also used to help people to tap into literally, literally any emotion that they would like to feel, and they can learn how to turn up those emotions again with the you know with the. Um, uh, uh, sliding anchor that I used with you, uh, a few years back. Um, yep. you know, that was a, a technique and by the way, you know, you are a stand up comedian, stand up comedians use NLP. They don't necessarily, 100%. yeah, they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily use, they don't even know that it's really NLP most of the time. Um, but they use what's called stage anchoring, um, which for your listeners, uh, let me explain what anchoring is for your listeners. Cause we've been mentioning that a lot. And some of them might be like, what they keep talking about anchoring, but they don't explain what it is. Let me explain what it is. Um, many of you may remember reading about, uh, Pavlov's dogs, Ivan Pavlov, who I think was in the 1800s. I forget. Um, all I know is a long time ago. Um, I'm suddenly salivating over my whole dog food here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, Ivan Pavlov, who I forget if he was French or Russian. I don't remember. Um, but he did experiments. He was one of the first people to do experiments specifically with dogs where he, uh, he wouldn't feed them for a large portion of the day. So they'd get very hungry. And then he would bring out raw meat. And then the dogs would start to salivate because of the raw meat. Okay. Just like just about any dog would do. Okay. But then what he did, so he kept bringing out the raw meat. They would celebrate, bringing out the raw meat to celebrate. He start, then he started to ring a tuning fork. Some people say a bell. Some people say a tuning fork. Whatever it was, it was an external stimulus being a sound in, in that case where he kept uh, creating that trigger, if you will, conditioning in that trigger of that external sound. So again, raw meat, ring the tuning fork bring out the raw meat, ring the tuning fork. They're salivating with, with, with both of them. And then at a certain point, then as part of his experiment, he said, okay, we're not going to bring out the raw meat. We're just going to ring the tuning fork. Okay. And the dog salivated. And what was called classical conditioning or, uh, you know, uh, operant conditioning, if you will, um, was born, if you will. Um, and for many, many, many decades, uh, traditional psychology just looked at this and said, oh, okay, so this is, this is why people have problems because it got, it got conditioned in. Okay. But in NLP and neurolinguistic programming, we tend to look at things differently. We don't look at the problem nearly as much as how we can use this to actually make something good, to make something positive for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, so we use the same kind of thing where we create, and again, with, with, uh, the, uh, with the sliding anchor, I simply use the external stimulus of just simply a, a, a finger on your arm or a couple fingers on your arm, perhaps as that external stimulus for that laughter. And so when I did that, and especially when I, when I moved my, my, uh, fingers up your arm, uh, it, it, uh, uh intensified it. 
it intensified that feeling. Then you incorporated the sound effect as well. Exactly. Yeah. Very good point. Absolutely. Um, You know, so then it was kind of like, you know, metaphorically speaking, um, that's kind of like the tuning fork, you know, except it was like a, you know, um, uh, sound, which is kind of a silly sound as well. And we're already kind of anchored to, okay, silly sounds make us laugh. Um, you know, that and fart jokes. Yeah. Go on. No, I, I was just thinking about, you know, the people assume it's not funny, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to laugh. Um, so, so where were we with the, uh, with the anchoring stuff? Um, You're talking yeah. about the, yeah. Connecting that to conditioning, uh, people's thought process. Yeah. So back to cult, le- cult leading one-on-one. <laughs> so you guys taking down your notes. So, I hope not. Cause so, I'm starting a, no, I'm kidding. Nonetheless. Uh, yeah, these are things that, and again, it's not, you know, I don't want people to be like, oh my gosh, people are using this stuff. So that makes them bad people. No, it doesn't. It's all about the intention of how and why they're using it. If they're using it to control you, yes, it's not a good thing. If they're using it to help you, it's not a bad thing, you know? And by the way, we advertisers do this all the time. All the time. That's why they pay billions of dollars um, to to anchor these things in. That's why they'll pay. You know, it's a it's it's you know, uh, Coca Cola is is uh, you know brilliant at it. Um, yeah. Would you say uh, uh, modern uh, purveyors of news and news analysis <laughs> do this to emotionally incentivize incentivize yes. us to pay attention to their networks? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And talk about <laughs> yes, literally, and that one that I do not think is okay, and I do literally think is evil. It's socially acceptable evil, literally. Uh, there shouldn't be dramatic music with our news. There shouldn't be uh, so many of the things that they do, and oftentimes they use language. And the two best at it, I'm, 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 uh, what, you know, what's the term uh, uh, when you're don't take one side or the other? Uh, ah, I can't remember. But either way, the two best at it are both Fox and CNN, and they are equally as good at it. They are equally as good at it. Yep. Um, and yes, they absolutely use this stuff big time. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so really what it comes down to any, anyone who is exerting control, uh, is likely is, and doing it effectively is, is likely using some level of NLP and hypnosis. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and again, we, we, we see it every single day. Most of us aren't conscious of it. I'm not always conscious of it. Um, you know, because I've trained so much in it, then I do see it more than, than most people, but you know, some of it, I'm like, oh man, they got me, you know? Yeah. Go ahead. It it was, it was interesting too. My, um, my, right after I, I finished, uh, that initial, however, you know, 19 day course or however many days it was the the first chunk of time that I I spent training with you, Mm -hmm. um, one, you ruined a whole bunch of shows for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of them at the moment. Uh, it, but also, my bullshit detector got really good. Mm. And, you know, because, and sometimes though, it's like um, it allowed me to kind of skip past what somebody was communicating and try to analyze, to 
you know, get a, a read on where is this probably coming from Mm -hmm. so that I could, in a way that on the one hand, I could tell people were kind of potentially being a little bit manipulative in instances. And yet it allowed me to kind of see past that threshold and see, well, are they doing it for a potentially positive reason? Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a very good question to ask because I don't want listeners to, again, I don't want listeners to think like, you know, oh, somebody's using influence. So that's bad. I don't want somebody to be like, oh, uh, this commercial is, is using this stuff, but it's something I really want, but I'm not going to buy it because they're using this stuff. You'll never buy ever anything ever again. If, if you looked at it that way. Um, uh, but it is useful to just to be aware of it, to want to, to have a better understanding of it so that you're, so that you're more conscious of what's going on and can make decisions, uh, and, you know, go figure literally be thinking for yourself because yeah, brainwashing does exist. I mean, I made a joke in regards to, you know, the experience of, you know, totally changing the way I felt about the past being quote unquote brainwashing. Um, you know, but, but, actual brainwashing exists on a daily basis via the uh, most most media most news channels and it doesn't matter if it's right or left they're they're you know the vast majority of them are, are pretty equal um for the sake of uh you know for like well what news can you trust uh i'll throw it out there Reuters actually uh if i'm spelling it correct or saying it correctly actually i think they're about the most non-biased they're pretty good at just giving you the news most people think uh reuters Re- there you go thank you yeah, yeah. And most people you're, you're, you're most people also don't know how to pronounce it is, is <laughs> apparently your point <laughs> including me um, but yeah there's you know there's too much money in it in, in regards to it's, it's too much corruption to be more specific um you know and it's it's yeah and yes speak and on that note yeah politics uh you know politicians use this stuff, you know, and it doesn't matter what, what, you know, they use it on both sides. Um, and some of them, you know, sometimes I'm glad for it. How so? Well, uh, just, just, this is, you know, um, I, I have on a policy level, mm-hmm. I, I have some issues with the, uh, incoming president. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was acutely aware mm-hmm. That a lot of care went into choosing Mm, mm -hmm. the words for his acceptance speech. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at the same time, uh, I have wildly had a negative perception of the guy who currently has the job. And Mm -hmm. he bugs the crap out of me. I wish he would have just done stand-up comedy. You're the only one that feels that way. (laughs) Everybody loves him. (laughs) Everybody loves that guy. Well, I mean, 71 million people did vote for him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but the, the point is, is, um, you know, knowing, even knowing that, mm-hmm. I allowed the NLP infused into Joe Biden's speech mm. to kind of um, – build up a sense of optimism for what might come during his presidency. Cause I just need to, on an emotional level, I need something positive in the next four yeah. years. And so I, I let it work on me. Well, and some of it I'm grateful for in that regard as well. Uh, Cause you sounded like a president and that's, that's, I was like, okay. Whoo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of people feel that way, honestly. Um, you know, I, you know, I will continue to be highly skeptical 
but as you should, yeah, I think, um, you know, we shouldn't just assume he's going to be perfect. He's because that would be Pollyannish. Well, and I and, automatically, and, I, my just my uh, genuinely just based on, you know, past or continuing to repeat itself. I just automatically assume that most politicians are lying. But and this is a, a, a valuable but um, when it comes to bringing people together right now. Yes, please use influence, you know, bring, you know, d- you know, get coached by Obama. I think he was actually really good at that for the most part. Obviously not everybody loved him, but I think he was one of the smoothest talkers there was. Um, even though I used a lot of us and ahs like I do as well. But um, <laughs> So you're saying um, Toastmasters does the monopoly on how effectively to give a speech. Exactly. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, just simply put, yes. And, you know, uh, I think just about anyone would agree that we are living in a very divided country right now. And we do very much need somebody to start bringing people together. And that comes from... D- language that comes from tonality that comes from from yeah using genuine influence now do i want him to lie to us of course not um but do i want somebody that you know do i want somebody to start bringing us together and and not do you know not saying such such stupid things that that you know <laughs> again if he know. was a stand-up comedian it would be hilarious <laughs> and it would and and you know and you know i you know some of the things that you know that they went after him for i was like he just doesn't talk very well he doesn't actually you know i think people misinterpreted a lot well, of things he and, said and I, although that being said i gotta say and this is going to get me canceled i'm sure so of course why not say it in a way that'll be immortalized in a recording there you go <laughs> when he said kung flu i laughed my ass off ah there you go there you go i it's I, now horribly racist and you shouldn't say it if you're a president I, uh, I I don't even know if it's, I don't know what it is honestly. But if but it was a professional I, I comedian it. saying oh, it, dude. then it wouldn't oh, be racist. Killed. It would you know, be funny. It would you know if yeah. I would have used that joke before he did, I would have slayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I I agree with that. I agree with that. It's uh, yeah. I mean, as far as the, the I mean, there was a a joke that uh, that uh, that Biden said recently that I actually felt bad for him for because. Uh, what do you say? He said, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and it was a very edited clip, um, but still it, you know, made a lot of people uncomfortable. Right. He, they were asking him, what was it? They were asking him about uh, him and, and uh, Kamala. Sorry. I, I, Make sure you pronounce her name right. Yes, I think I did. I think <laughs> I did. I had to think about it to say it correctly. Um, uh, Kamala, I believe, is correct. If I'm not, then forgive me. Then you're racist. The, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works these days uh, but nonetheless um with uh the, it, they were asking about their you know like do they ever have arguments or something like that and he was saying that yeah they do sometimes have disagreements and you know and he was saying something along the lines you know just like him and obama would do they would just work it out and then he said i'm paraphrasing again he said something along the lines of you know and yeah if we have a big argument then i'll just i'll just create a disease and disappear <laughs> and and, <laughs> and see, oh man see that's silent that's, see to me i'm laughing i think that's funny it's unfortunate that he used it but. yeah well i mean his timing was horrible oh, it was see, it see, was timing ultimate, matters on that shit yeah you, you exactly. can't yeah if you're gonna say something like that your timing on 100 matters it was it was just there was total silence total <laughs> silence 
And and then he didn't, you know, and then he didn't smile afterwards and say, just so everybody knows, that was a joke. I don't want the hate mail, whatever. He didn't say any of that stuff. And uh, maybe I just but, have a dark sense of humor, but I, I still I'm still laughing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I could imagine myself saying something like that. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm not. I will never be the president. Of me. I will never be a councilman. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I am way too politically incorrect for any politics. But. But, uh, no, I mean, you know, he said a dumb joke, a silly joke. I, I had, didn't have any problem with it or whatever, but, but, uh, you know, a certain large number of people on both sides, uh, both Democrat and Republican and in between were like, what did he mean by that? What does, what, 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 you know? And, and <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was either, you know, I'm pretty sure it was just a dumb joke and, and, you know, whatever, but, but anyway, um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, it's funny that uh, um, as far as controversial things and within the world of hypnosis, I know it was months ago, uh, but I remember reading your Facebook post, kind of like a mini rant on the subject of how uh, there was an episode months ago uh, uh, with a hypnosis guy on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I think I remember you saying something on, on Facebook. Uh, I don't expect you to remember the episode perfectly, but mm-hmm. you said like within inside of like two minutes he, or 10 minutes, there were this many things wrong that the guy got. Oh, I'm, I, I, do you know, the, do you know that even if you don't remember the specifics, do you remember the episode when, when, uh, cause I remember you had kind of a, a notable reaction on social media about the episode. Yeah. And I can't remember the details of it, but it was just, it was so false on so many levels. Um, I just can't remember. I So even yeah, if ahead. you can't remember that episode, um, mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll make it easier for you to answer. Cause I don't expect you to, you know, that whole thing about memory being imperfect. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what are some of the things you think people get wrong? Uh, get really wrong. get wrong about NLP and hypnosis or things that people say uh, as members of the NLP and hypnosis community um, that yeah. do damage. Uh, one of them, and this may have been one of the things that, that the guy said, um, which is that not everybody can be hypnotized. Um, that is totally false. Totally the false. The funny thing is, is everybody was listening to him intently when, they, when he said that. Good point. (laughs) Good point. Dramatic pause. Let let that sink in for everybody listening. Um, Literally, that was a hypnotic suggestion in and of itself. Okay. Now, was the guy was the guy lying? No, because he probably believes it. Um, you know, of course that could depend on your definition of what a lie is and what isn't, but, but I don't think he was, I, you know, I'm, he was not intentionally being deceitful. Exactly. Exactly. But he's an authority figure. And so he needs to think perhaps carefully about what he's actually asserting to be correct. Well, he just needs to call me <laughs> and I'll, I'll help him to understand. Okay. I won't just well, tell him. I may him not be Joe Rogan, but we are on Spotify. So we're, we're a notch in the right direction in terms of people knowing uh, your genius there. There we go. There we go. I don't know if I would say genius, but, 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 but nonetheless, no, at least a, a little bit of knowledge about it. And yes, the, the thing is that everybody, not only, not only can everybody be hypnotized, everybody already has been hypnotized infinite times all throughout their life uh you know when you get when you're watching a movie and you get really caught up in it um i mean i was it wasn't a movie actually it was a it was one of the series the um something manner what is it uh one of the horror ones uh the thriller ones super scary um 
I forget what it is. Something like we'll call it. I think it is the haunting of Hill Manor. I think. Oh, they did a like a Netflix TV series uh, reboot of the haunted haunted house on haunted hill or whatever that was or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Now I don't believe in ghosts. Never have. Um, and I, you know, and you know, when I, but, but bottom line is that, that show scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Well, then it did its job (laughs) because that's a form of hypnosis. Okay. Especially when they used those techniques, they use very specific techniques to get you into that trance, to get you laser focused in on that trance. And then Bam, they sneeze, you know, I won't give it with spoilers, but there's like, you know, certain parts that just out of nowhere, bam, you know, I, I, if there was somebody in front of me, they would have been knocked out. <laughs> Literally. And, the, and, and you can't sink Kevin, but he's not a giant dude. I'm not a giant dude, but, but, but don't sneak up on me in the dark. Just don't do <laughs> nope. it. Um, you know, and, but nonetheless, you know, we've all, we've all experienced hypnosis. When we're driving down the freeway, we miss our off ramp. That's a form of hypnosis. It's called highway hypnosis. We get caught up in a good book. That's a form of hypnosis. Um, everybody can and already has been hypnotized. Um, it, in the 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 thing is that what what some of these people are looking at, they're 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 looking at certain parts of the brain, and noticing that when they do certain experiments that certain parts of their brain doesn't don't light up in the same way as others, which is fair. And I won't deny that when they're doing that exact specific experiment. But any, any hypnotist forward slash hypnotherapist worth their salt has multiple different ways of guiding people into hypnosis. And don't just stick to one specific way for every single person. Okay. There, there are some, maybe even many that just read scripts to you. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, you know, you got to be flexible in your approach, but, but again, everybody has and already, uh, everybody can and already have been hypnotized countless times. Um, so that was probably one of the things that this guy was talking about that I, that I went on a bit of a rant on with like I did just now. I think actually that was the thing I remember. Um, and you know, I, you got exactly to the point of, you know, how does somebody know they can be hypnotized? It's just a matter of whether or not they've experienced the the state. Maybe they're not aware of it. But. Exactly. When m- most aren't, because, you know, what are we, what are we taught that hypnosis is? What's the, you know, we're taught that it's like TV in the movies. Look at my clock. I'm switching, you know, wh- look into my eyes or, you know. Exactly. Which by the way, both of those things can be very trancy, but that's, that's a different, different topic. Uh, uh, no, what I mean though, is that, you know, people will think like in hypnosis, then you're not going to remember what happened. That almost never happens. Can it happen? Eh, technically, it can. Uh, stage hypnotists uh, oftentimes will do a little trick to make people temporarily forget their name, um, and it's it's you know it's really pretty simple. It doesn't work every time, but it really is pretty simple. Um, you know, but we've all experienced that at different times. You know, like I was trying to remember a common word that I still can't remember at this moment. It starts with a P in regards to being. Uh, non-politically biased. I can't remember the, I know the word, but I can't remember it right now. And there are ways of just, you know, through language and suggestion of making people forget certain words momentarily, but whatever that word is, will come to me sooner or later here, if that makes sense. It does. Now I'm fixated and I'm trying to remember what the word is. (laughs) (laughs) As everyone else is, they're probably yelling into their, into their speakers being like, it's this one. What are you thinking? Um, but, but go on. Um, 
Well, you, you kind of address that now. Speaking of stage hypnosis, um, and you know, my, my whole thought is if I reference Rogan enough in this episode, he'll invite me on his show. Um, but he, he's told this story a bunch of times mm-hmm. uh, about a stage hypnosis guy who, who um, had somebody come up on stage and got him to believe he was in the act of having sex with Madonna when Madonna was, you know, this is when Madonna was much more, you know, in the inside Younger. the bell curve of, yes. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, and she does that. Like, hey, Madonna, nice job. You know, your, your plastic surgeons are doing a great job. Yeah. She's still, she's still, you know, I mean, she's like, what? Hey? Almost no, she's 80 in her 60. No, she, well, oh. she's in her 60s. Oh, shoot. Sorry, Madonna. <laughs> Go on. Go um, on. But, but according to this, this, this uh, stage hypnotist that, that Rogan saw, this guy thought he was having sex with Madonna and, you know, potentially had an orgasm on stage and, you know, uh, by all accounts, ejaculated in his, in his jeans. Could happen. Um, and now, how does what's the uh, I guess the regard or lack of it, or you know, how is it, things like erotic hypnosis thought of in the hypnosis community? Hmm. I it's thought of in many different ways, really. Um, the general rule of thumb, the general rule of thumb is that erotic hypnosis is for recreational purposes, meaning outside of a clinical setting. But there are exceptions to that, which I'll get into. Um, uh, but in general, it's thought of as, okay, just, you know, having fun with consensually, you know, uh, consensual adults and you both know what you're doing and whatnot. And in the same way that I said that hypnosis is a very simple way of helping people to feel just about anything they want to feel that includes sexually, that is, it includes in a, in an erotic sense. Um, you know, as long as somebody wants to, and they're open to, it's actually fairly simple to do. Um, and again, in general, that would be used for, you know, just, you know, uh, two consenting ad- or more consenting adults um, outside of a, of, of, of a uh, clinical setting. Now, that said, could it, could it be used in a clinical setting? Yes, as long as it's used very responsibly. And what do I mean by that specifically? Uh, technically, it could be used to help for, uh, I, I use it for helping, helping men with, with ED, for example. Um, you know, I help them to in the privacy of their own mind. Okay. Uh, I help them to, to reassociate to some wins in their life where they were, you know, you know, had their mojo in a major way, if that makes sense. Um, uh, you know, and just, you know, but I don't, I, I, I don't take it to the extremes that you can in a, in a uh, recreational type thing, meaning specifically to be very clear. Yeah. Like, like cause yes. we're kind of, uh, unfortunately we're not beating around anything or we, you know, should <laughs> don't make me lose my train of thought because it's important to make this distinction, this clarification here. Um, simply put, I don't make people have orgasms in my office. Okay. Um, you know, now, uh, could you, and there are some that actually do that. They, they, I'm assuming you don't sleep in your office. Uh, I do take naps sometimes in my office. Actually, well, it, my, uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't double as your bedroom. Cause that would be really unfortunate then. No, no, I don't, but, but I, but I technically do sleep in my office sometimes with naps and the reclining chair. It's right, comfortable, right, right. but anyway, um, but very specifically, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have some, I don't have a client actually, you know, orgasm in my office. Um, 
but I do, you know, if they want to learn techniques that they can actually use with their, with their partner, things like that, I'll teach them how to do certain things. Um, you know, uh, you know, and, and there are certain techniques that I will teach some, some clients that, uh, including with, with ED, for example, I will, I will teach some clients how to pleasure their partner more, but I don't teach them. It's not hands-on training. Let me just put it that way. (laughs) Okay. It's just explaining certain things to them and, and, uh, you know, learning some techniques to, to, to pleasure their partner in other ways while they're getting their full mojo back um uh does that make sense it does yeah. it does and then you've also and it kind of, sort of in a connected uh kind of area of discussion how does that play out as far as somebody who is in a romantic or sexual relationship doing hypnosis in a therapeutic sense or otherwise with the, you know with that partner or partners i guess i suppose um What's the? Gen- I assume the general thought, or or kind of consensus as far as ethics are concerned, is that you don't do therapeutic work on somebody you're connected to, or is that not quite so hard and fast? Uh, Sorry to use those. That again, yeah. phrasing. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's in that is the general general way of looking at it. Um, in general, it's just it's just not a good idea to do to do therapy or to to even do coaching uh, on somebody that you're romantically involved with. Um, you know, in general, it's usually best to just have them work with somebody else because it just it it can kind of it can mix some things up. Um, you know, that said, you know. Uh, for example, you know, I help people to, to, uh, overcome allergies. I've helped women that I've dated to overcome allergies. You know, now if a woman that I'm dating is like, okay, I, uh, I'm, I'm dealing with sexual trauma from my past and she wants me to help her with it. I'm, I'm going to say, let me refer you to one of my colleagues I think would, would be best for that kind of thing. Dramatic pause. Well, <laughs> so, and that is the, the dilemma that I've had on multiple occasions uh, on this podcast is when somebody says something, you know, of note, mm-hmm. that kind of that dual uh, impulse to let it sink in so I can process it mm-hmm. and then to keep the conversation going so the, you know, listeners aren't thinking they downloaded a blank file. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, continue because I have. I actually was going to divert from this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, here's how I kind of kind of look at it. It's like you know, really, it's there. It, well, I will, you know, I will use the the, the term. There is no hard and fast rule where it's always <laughs> this way. Um, you know, it's always this way or that way. But it is very important to be responsible, uh, you know, to, to, to really ask, is this, is this what's best? And when it comes to, uh, when it comes to serious emotional things, um, it's usually like, it's, it's almost always not best, uh, to do, to do very much work in that regard. Now, does that mean that you can't listen to your partner? Absolutely. You can listen to him and I recommend you do. If they, you know, if they just want to vent, but don't try to, you know, don't try to, to coach them. Uh, you know, if they ask you for, for, you know, 
if they ask you for some coaching on lighter issues, sure, you could do that. For example, they're like, okay, I'm having this problem at work. Uh, you know, my boss is doing this and I don't know what, how to communicate or whatever. Sure. I don't, I don't see any problem with that whatsoever. Um, but again, when it comes to, when it comes to serious emotional things, I really think it's best to, to just refer out to, uh, to a colleague. Well, and you know, um, it's good to have those governors, right? Because you, you don't want to find that you're in a situation where you're not able to deal because you're too emotionally invested in the person you're helping. That's probably that is a is an important thing to th- be aware of. Yeah, and that 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 applies across the board. Um, you know, if 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 you're feeling too emotionally involved, absolutely, and that can happen sometimes in regard in regards to clinical settings. Sometimes, you know, it's it, it's it's important to recognize if an individual is like you know they they're getting too they're they're feeling too much of their clients emotions well it usually means two things um first of all it does mean it's best to refer them out first of all second it usually means that there's something that they need to that, that the practitioner uh needs to address within themselves um uh you know be something something that they're that's triggering them that probably you know uh, some, some, some challenge that they've had that they really need to, well, at least I rec- recommend they resolve within themselves, um, to put it in a different way so that it really makes sense. Uh, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, I like to think that most people in the people helping business, they care about people, they care about their clients and that's a good thing. Okay. But, if we're finding ourselves too, getting getting caught up and really being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my client experienced this. That's horrible. Oh, I feel so horrible. I feel so horrible. There's a good chance there's some certain things that that the that the practitioner has going on with himself that they need to address. Okay. Um, now, does that mean not to have compassion? Of course, I have compassion, and I've worked with some clients that have gone through some horrible things, horrible things that I can't even imagine. And you know, I've had some horrible things happen to me that a lot of other people couldn't imagine. Um, uh, but nonetheless, my focus isn't on what they went through. It's about how much I'm, how much better I'm going to help them to feel potentially in as little as a few minutes, potentially. Um, uh, and that's, that's where my target is at. So I don't get too emotionally involved with my clients in that regard. Um, you know, I could literally potentially be brought to tears, but almost always, not hundred percent of the time, but almost always those, if I am like kind of getting choked up, it's actually a very positive thing because I'm so d- 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 almost overwhelmed with happiness for how much this person's life is about to change how much they're going to be free from, from, uh, what, you know, whatever was, was, was going on with them if, emotionally, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And, no. and, you know, I've experienced that. I mean, obviously I've worked with some clients, um, I didn't apply NLP so well to, uh, marketing, which is probably <laughs> okay. why I didn't have very many clients, gotcha. but, uh, you know, but regardless, I've certainly used that with clients and then I've experienced that, as well, you know, teaching martial arts, which I have done much more of professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I see a student getting something, mm-hmm. you know, there's the there's any time any kind of coach or teacher or you know, there's um, something our, our mutual friend Scott Conway said is in order to be a great teacher, mm-hmm. not a good teacher, you can be a good teacher. You know, if you just mm-hmm 
train on being a good teacher, but in order to be a great teacher, you must love your students. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and so like, like, yeah. and, and whether that's exactly true or not, it's a good direction to go that if you can cultivate love for your students, you're going to be a much more effective coach or teacher or, or, you know, somebody investing in their development, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, very much. Um, so long as we, we keep it, I think that Probably the you probably the best should define what you mean by love. By the well, way, well, <laughs> yeah, I think that the, the the main distinction there is so long as we're not falling in love, uh, yeah. meaning romantically in love. Um, you know, that's that's when you know that's when some boundaries are being crossed. Um, you know, but yes, having that 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 genuine compassion and love, uh, absolutely. That's you know. That's huge. That's probably one of the most valuable, quote unquote, tools. It's not really a tool, obviously, but but I'll say it anyway, you know, quote unquote, tools um, that you could have. It certainly can be used as such. I mean, if you're able to cultivate an appreciation for the inherent value that the person you're helping has, yes, you're going to be a lot more fueled. Exactly. Do something that you don't think is just wasteless energy expended. Exactly. It's like when you come from that. First of all, when you come from that angle, your your clients are going to 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 feel that, and that's gonna that's gonna help them to to it's gonna help them to change because they're gonna you're gonna have that trust. But also, you're gonna be determined. You know, you're gonna you're gonna figure out a way, and if it's if it's not so easy, and you know, then then you're not gonna be like, oh, resistant client. <laughs> you know, you're gonna be like, you know, you're gonna be like, um, you know, oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm not gonna just walk away from from somebody that I really care about. You know, so you know, we're gonna figure this out together. Again, one of those. Pregnant pauses or whatever, yeah. dramatic pause. Um, Wasn't now, mine. I'm, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my baby. Whatever your pregnancy is. Yeah, you, you had a uh, <laughs> you, you had an intellectual uh, vasectomy. Is I don't know where I'm going with that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, you know, something I was uh, I was talking with um, my friend John, who's who's also my surf coach, uh, just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no. Okay, that was yesterday. I've had a lot of things happening in the last handful of days, so they're blurring together a little bit, which is pretty common for a lot of people, I think, in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that going um, on. Yeah. But we're talking we're we're talking about the idea of building specifically a uh, blind surf squad and kind of helping other um, other athletes and specifically adaptive athletes. Mm-hmm. And um, that leads me to to think of the importance of uh, mindset going mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. Um, surf competitions. So um, I actually have uh, only worked with them once or twice, but I had the uh, pr- I had a, a session done by a friend, Dr. John Oda, uh, ahead of one of my surf contests, mm-hmm. and you know, it got me. It absolutely made a giant difference in terms of what I was willing to put myself through in you know pretty challenging surf conditions. Yeah. Um, you know, what's your take on kind of enhancing people's performance and, and obviously mindset? And, you know, of course, you you helped me with that um, when it came to performing in a rock band. I remember having a session with you really early on and knowing you and it way helped me step up my stage presence and stuff. So there's a there's a definite 
I still, remember, I still remember your anchor for that, which is basically just stomping your foot down as hard as you could. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I, I bring that knee up all the way up high. And I, mm. you know, it's funny. I still find myself doing it. Mm. It went, you know, like as an anchor when I need to kind of empower myself for the day. Nope. Um, but uh, how does that play into your experience, kind of the, the importance of, of mindset and how that plays into athletic performance and other types of things? Oh, hugely, hugely. And it's a really interesting one, actually, um, you know, on, on the, 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 the blind component. Um, uh, yeah, because I'm not your only uh, blind person you've trained before. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we, we both know. Uh, uh, Nicole Bissett. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, you know, she was actually the first, uh, first blind student I've ever had, but I was honestly, because this was my limiting belief at the time. Mm-hmm. I was honestly worried. I was concerned. I was like, oh my gosh, so much of what I teach is so visual. It's so visual. Uh, how am I going to teach somebody? Cause she's actually been blind since birth, you know? Right. Uh, and I saw it before. And so I, my awareness of visual things just in the same way you perceive those visual things as probably there's less disparity between us as between the two of you. Uh, say that one more time. There's less, like in terms of when you describe something visually, mm-hmm. my conception of it is going to be a lot closer to yours than hers would be of yours. Because, yes. You know, as far as there's less disparity as between our visual experiences versus yours and hers. Exactly. Or maybe not. And I, I, I don't know. And hmm. I, 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 well, and you were I, about I, to I, further elaborate. Yeah. Um, well, so again, I was so worried about that. I wasn't like, I wasn't like, you know, losing sleep or anything, but I was like, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to make sure to, to do the best I can here. And, uh, you know, be a great teacher, um, to her as with everyone else. Um, so I started asking colleagues and I, I remember, especially one particular colleague who said, well, just don't use any visual language whatsoever. Don't say, see, don't say, visualize, oh. don't say, imagine, don't say. No. And thank you so much for not listening to them because <laughs> yes. I would have walked out of your class. Exactly. I, I, no, no, like legitimately, like I, and as much as awesome as you are, I, I wouldn't have been able to hang with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I, I didn't accept that. I did. I was like, that just doesn't make Thank any you. kind of sense. I, I was like, that doesn't make any kind of sense. But, um, but nonetheless, it, uh, you know, I was still, I was still concerned because I was like, so how is she? Good? And I remember how amazed I was when I was, I was like writing things on the whiteboard, and then I, I said, I said to her, uh, you know, I said, I, I, like, I said, okay, so Nicole, what I have up here, and she said, oh, I already know. You've got this. You got, you got a happy face, and there's lines, and and blah 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 blah, and I'm like. And, you know, I'm like literally <laughs> looking at the whiteboard, looking back at her, looking at the whiteboard, looking back at her, like my jaw, like on the, on the floor. And I'm like, how did you, and it's because, and, and I could be wrong, but, but my perspective is that, that again, she's, she was listening very closely, but she was still visualizing everything that I was saying, possibly possibly better than 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 people with with uh, with with sight if you will um what's the term that you guys use for that what do you guys say sighted what is it the, the right term uh I, I like light slave personally okay but. light slave there we go basically i mean it's just a joke i picked up from a from a friend of mine you know that you're dependent on light it's more of a way of, of pointing putting it back in your face. But, you know, the interesting thing is with all of that, and and uh, it's funny, I keep finding myself uh, overanalyzing my, what what's what the term you have for phrasing you use out of habit? There's this, you know, you, you have your, your go-to, like, kind of 
picking up phases, but anyway, not sure. Um, <laughs> legitimately, though, the the, the 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 one of the interesting things is, is about that is um, I'm an extremely visual person. Not every blind person or visually impaired person is, mm-hmm. um, and I I wonder. Um, you know, Nicole and I have been friendly. We're not like super close or anything, but um, it, you know, one of the things that she and I may both have, and I know that I share this with other. Uh, people in my situation mm-hmm. of having a bit of synesthesia where mm. I may take in things through sound or through feel or through things. And I process them, uh, in a visual way. So like for instance, certain names seemingly arbitrary, mm-hmm. but, um, consistently I might add have a particular color associated with them. Mm-hmm. So for, for whatever reason, Kevin is a, brown name mm, uh, mm-hmm, scott mm-hmm. is somehow blue in my conceptualization and then even certain sounds or certain words will have some sort of visual component to the way i process them and, and kind of put them in their proper place in my brain real estate i don't know if that's cool. how widespread that is across blind people but you know very much so <laughs> there's absolutely a visual component and I'm, i have a very vivid uh visual imagination hmm uh, I, I don't know how widespread that is, but uh, I, I just find it interesting. Um, uh, and it seems quite useful, actually. Um, it's, it's As a side note, it's one of the best ways to remember people's names, actually, is to, to visualize the word and give it colors and things like that. Um, so it's possible that, you know, you're kind of you're kind of doing that. It's tough to say, um, but looping into to how this, uh, why I bring this up in regards to to performance, mm-hmm. um, the the thing is that when it comes to athletics, when it comes to athletic performance, most of it, not all of it, hopefully that's obvious, but most of it is visual. Okay, it's it's what we imagine in our mind, and. So the, 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 the thing is that the more that we can, we can act as if we're doing something like when you, when you first started surfing, I, I was like, I fucking love that. So awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, especially because like, I was I mean, I, I, you know, and who am I to say, who the hell am I to say? But I just think that that uh, there's well I'll I'll even get really controversial for a moment. Go and, for it. And, and I I don't like the word disability. I don't like it. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's not that it's like you know it doesn't mean there's not significant challenges. But you know you were quite able to surf. Now does that mean that you're able to 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 go to a point point where is it uh, where's the well right now they're having the pi- the pipe masters and uh, I. On the North Shore. North Shore. That's Hawaii. what I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. So there's, all, there's, there's, I mean, there's some, some pretty hairy areas to surf, you know? And I mean, what, uh, Laird Hamilton surfed like 50, 60 foot waves. Uh, but, but I, I, he, I surfed like a 10 foot wave. That's, that, that's, that's big enough for me, at least for right is now. Is he, is he blind? I don't, I don't no, know. No, he's not. Oh, okay. He's not. That's what I, that's what I mean. No, that's no, no. I mean. He, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's crazy even for regular surfers. Um, he, he's also, you know, kind of a unique guy. He's married to Gabriel Reese. He's, pretty famous in the fitness and human potential side of things. Yeah. Um, 
So, but, and on that quick note, before I get the hate mail, um, I totally respect, <laughs> I totally respect if people, if people are like, no, I do have a disability. I'm not going to argue with that. It's, it's, it's your life. You have a right to call, to refer to yourself however you want. And don't let anybody, including me say any differently. Um, I'm just not a big fan of that term because I don't see it as accurate most of the time. Um, it can, it, certain things absolutely. Well, it's one of the reasons yeah. why actually those of us who have disabilities, to put it one way, mm-hmm. um, we generally refer to ourselves as adaptive surfers or adaptive athletes because there is, it still gives voice to the fact that there is an adaptation that needs to be made, but it doesn't yeah. mean that we can't enjoy the thing that we're doing. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and I mean, it could just also be largely because of my understanding of language and it's like, I just, yeah. I, you know, I, and I'm <laughs> not one of those... Negative, that, uh, with the uh, you know negative words you know you don't like but or not not or actually I don't have yeah. a problem with those I think people call those that way too okay. much do, do, um, do you think people get a little bit too obsessive on on their language yes. choices yes big time big time uh, you know with the buts and the ands and whatnot Neg- negation uh, language that's what I was thinking exactly of. yes and the you know and the don'ts and the not I think people overdo it on that um, but see I just said but um, <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless. Um, uh, where were we? So in regards to the, again, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, performance, you know, yeah. especially in regards to sports, uh, first things first, the belief, or at least, at least the willingness to, to, to develop the belief that we can do something, especially when we have d- limitations, uh, which I, I'm more comfortable with that than disabilities. Um, uh, that is, is so, so important. So if anything, that's step one. Okay. Um, it's just being open to it. it you know, it, it's, it's ideal to have a really strong belief and, and, a, and a strong belief forward slash faith that you can do it. Um, but it's not, it's, it's optional because oftentimes, you know, the thing is that the belief can come after the experience. For example, let's say that somebody says, no, I'm blind. I can't surf. There's no possible way. Um, but then you say, okay, well, if it, just thinking out loud here, um, you know, if I have this, you know, you, you're wearing a, um, um, uh, life preserver, you know, uh, life vest, and we've got, you know, this, this chain wrapped around you, whatever. Um, and, and we just have you just do this stuff. Would you be willing to try it? And, and they're just like, yeah, but I still don't believe I can surf with enough experience of it, eventually, you know, that belief can come. So the belief is still optional, Yep. but wow. Well, and that's it actually, a, well, and, and that's exactly what, um, you know, I, have begun to do with, uh, you know, waves for all is the, you know, the organization that my surf coach, uh, has built up over the years. And, you know, we take different people, different situations, people with, uh, you know, autism, people with spinal cord injuries, mm. and we, we get them to actually try surfing. Mm. Nice. And, and it's exactly the thing you're talking about. They try it and they realize they can do it and they end up falling in love with it Yeah. to the point that there's this one kid, um, who he's very not verbal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or he wasn't verbal when they first started. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on that and, you know, was and still is on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. but he sort of come out of his shell because of surfing. Nice. And then he ended up helping a kid who was totally nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Surf. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Yes. And it was the coolest yeah. thing. And so, you know, but here's the thing though, going back to that, you have to believe that you can do it. Um, 
and it doesn't matter which order it comes in. Yeah. You know, for them, I mean, you know, uh, sensory input can be really intense for people on the, on the Definitely autism spectrum. Can, yeah. And so, you know, at first, you know, the waves were kind of scary. Yeah. And eventually he kind of got used to that and he kind of was like, oh, okay, this is fun. And, you know, but the, the, the reinforcement of the reality that he can surf and not only can he surf, but he can actually help other people whose brain works in a similar fashion to his. Mm. Who yeah. may have a harder time adapting? You know, that's you know, uh, th- that's a pretty solid demonstration of exactly the thing you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and well, and it, it's a, a really interesting point. Um, there are things that I mean, it's come a long way in a short period of time, but there were some things like roughly a decade ago that I was helping people to do uh, on the autistic ske- uh, spectrum that weren't supposed to be possible. Um, and it reminds, uh, well, a, it was actually, it started with me with the, 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 my first experience with someone with, with autism that I knew of at least, because a lot of people have it and you just don't know it. But, but this individual, um, he had the belief, talk about a very limiting belief that he could not feel emotions. He had a very, a very strong belief of that. And a lot of people helped him out with that belief. A lot of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, well-credentialed people helped him out with that belief. He said, well, yeah, it's just, it's, you, you can't because you have autism. Okay. Um, and uh, so he was one of my students in a, in a course that I taught. And as you may remember, one of the first things that I ask all my students is simply, what do you want? Okay. What's, what do you want from this course? And, and the, with, uh, with people on the spectrum, that's my first question. I don't, I don't, I don't want to know all of the, 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 the details of what's supposed to be wrong with you. I don't want to know any of that. Uh, I will, I'll, I'll do some research on the side and whatnot, which is what I did. Cause I, well, <laughs> Uh, you don't want to go into it completely unaware. Uh, well, almost though, literally it's, it's kind of beneficial to, but I mean, just in terms, I mean, if you had nothing, no knowledge of it, that might be. Yes, exactly. Well, and so what, what there's a threshold of, of how much you need to know, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. Kind of, kind of. Uh, so, so when he first told me that I remember, uh, I booked him for the course and then he called me back. I don't remember if it was the same day or the next day, but it was soon after. And then he said to me, he said, you know, Kevin, uh, my, my partner tells me that I should tell you that I, uh, that I have Asperger's. Uh, which for those that may not know, Asperger's is just high functioning autism. Um, uh, so nonetheless, uh, I just kind of played it cool. I didn't know what the, I'd, I'd never heard of the term before. And I literally, literally, I'm like Googling, uh, asparagus is literally what I was. <laughs> and I'm like, what's, what's the problem here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not, I'm not going to get to know you that well. Exactly. You know, so. <laughs> Um, so behind the scenes, I'm like, you know, figuring it out and like, oh, okay. I see. I see. I see. Um, so nonetheless, again, same question. I just simply asked him, what do you want? And that was one of the things that, you know, he, but he had the very limiting belief, very limiting belief that it wasn't possible in some ways, in many ways, he thought that he was disabled for, to feeling emotions. He literally thought that he was, there's a certain point where he thought that he was quote unquote disabled to even smile um, because he, he, he like, I, you probably, you may remember, um, one of the things I teach is a simple smiling technique in class that, you know, like teach, like when you're, when you're smiling ear to ear, especially when looking straight up, 
it's virtually impossible to feel sad because it sends the 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 um, dopamine and serotonin and all those right. happy chemicals to your brain. Um, he was in the class, and then he said, and he said very very stoically, if I'm using the right term. Um, he just said, uh, Kevin, I, I can't do that. And I'm like, can't do what? He's like, my, my mouth does not move that way. And I was like, and then I didn't push him on it because, you know, I didn't want to break rapport. I was like, oh, okay. And in my head, I'm like, uh, no, you've got some really, really false limiting beliefs going on. <laughs> um, so nonetheless, I literally, I, I, I said, well, do this. And what I'm doing is, I'm, I'm, uh, is I, I, I took my two fingers on the side of my, my uh, lips and then moved them up like a smile. And then I said, just do that for a moment. Okay. And he did that. And it's like, you know, just a barely a smile, whatever. And I, and I just simply said to him, just keep practicing that. Let's see what happens. Um, so anyway, uh, way too much to get into for this, for what time we have left. Um, but throughout the course, I, you know, I was, I really cared about this guy. Um, you know, what the heck? Yeah. I genuinely had the love for him, just like I have genuine love for, for, you know, all of my students in the regards to the way that you were saying. And I'm like, oh, I got to help this guy to, you know, got to find a way. I had no techniques that were spe specifically for this. I didn't know what to do, but I was determined to find a way. And so just through flexibility, next thing you know, next thing you know, he is lighting up with such happiness <laughs> and joy and literally no joke. That's Be awesome. Before like the beginning of the class, you could see, like his skin was very white and pale, very white and pale. Chalky even, yeah. Literally. Um, but then once, once we made that breakthrough, literally, it almost looked like he had a sunburn. Um, because he just had so much feeling. He was allowing himself to feel so much. Um, <laughs> and I, I got a call one day uh, uh, from, uh, from a, a, a therapist. I think she was a psychiatrist. And she said, you know, I just want to find out what the heck you're, 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 you're doing here because I'm not getting any results, but, but, you know, you did some amazing things. And so she's like, ask me, and I'm just telling her literally. And then she's like, well, you know what, Kevin? what you helped him to do in such a short period of time is supposed to be impossible. But I'm convinced you were able to help him because, this is where the really funny part comes, because you had no idea what you were doing. <laughs> and I loved, I loved your honesty, but I also loved the, I mean, I, I, I right or wrong. I think it, I remember seeing you post about that. And possibly um, at some point. Yeah, possibly. It was literally, I think over a decade ago, it was a long time ago. Um, well, we've known each other for about that time. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but nonetheless, I, where, where didn't know what my, you're doing. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't, it's just like I don't know what I'm saying right now. Now I'm trying to remember exactly my point with all of that. But I guess my major point with all of that is that, for oh well, first of all, uh, having the uh, having the attitude that just about anything is possible is so so important, and I I do believe. I mean. Who's the first guy? Who's the first blind dude that decided to serve? Who had the balls for that shit? Okay, so well, was it me? So, I mean, other people have done so, it before I did, so, but for sure, you know, somebody said, "Okay, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way to do it." And I suspect if he if he survived, he did it in a very safe way. Um, but but nonetheless, yes, he broke that. You know, he broke that threshold. Uh, you know, and I, and again, it's just you know 
being open to doing something and being determined to figure out a way is is so important. But also in regards to the visual component, I wanted to touch base on that real quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, well, something that that many of your listeners may or may not know um, is that in general, not much of a generalization, but in general, people on the autistic spectrum tend to be highly visual highly visual and that's one of the reasons why so often not always but so often they can feel overstimulated I, i'm just i'm guessing that that individual uh that that you know that that uh, that you were teaching to surf right if he was feeling overstimulated he was probably probably imagining those waves much bigger than they really were um, probably crashing down. He was probably imagining all kinds of negative things that, that, that could happen. And that was making him scared, understandably. Um, and, but it also probably wasn't making him a very good surfer. But whether it was with someone else's help or whether he figured it out himself with somebody else's help, my guess is as well, if you smoke, uh, surfing smoothly, he's probably just imagining it as just like, yeah, I'm just... He's probably visualizing his head just just staying you know just staying on that board and just you know riding that wave, which I suspect. And again, who am I to say? But I suspect is largely what what people such as yourself do. Um, what would you say to that? Um, in terms of how do I keep my my head about me when I'm out there surfing? Yeah. What's what what because I don't want to lead with my language in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So uh, I, I think part yeah. of it is. For me, when I surf, um, and, and this is why I found it so profoundly therapeutic, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I have a brain that's very creative, and I have a very a brain that uh, I've been finding more effective ways of uh, muting the intensity of the echoes of trauma in my past. Uh, mm-hmm. Not using the the four letter word that you dislike so much, mostly because the D, you know, uh, refer to as PTS. But um, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha. But the but yeah. the whole point is. It's um, it's forced meditation, in a sense, mm-hmm. where because all this stuff is happening all at once, um, and I like really enjoy the feeling of of moving with such freedom. Um, the more I can focus on just the single moment that I'm not anywhere else but here on this wave. And I'm not thinking about what happened before, and I'm not thinking about what's happening, you know, happening moments from now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me personally, when I'm surfing, it's living in it and absorbing the fullness of this thing that I'm doing mm-hmm. as, as deeply and as richly as possible. So that, and you know, and that's sort of like this this sort of maybe positive feedback loop where it feels good. So I do it, which allows me to feel good. So I do it, which, you know, and, and so then I'm, I'm because the kind of letting myself experience the moment without any other expectation, without any other need, it then allows me to concentrate on the things that I need to do right now, which is stay balanced, uh, lean, you know, forward. If I need more speed, lean back, if I need less speed, you know, you know, all the different movements that I need to do in order to make the board move the way I wanted to move. Mm-hmm. I'm able to do that because I need to, because it makes me feel good. And, you know, I could keep going on. So that's, that's for me, that's the value of it. I'm, I, I suspect 
for other people who find it therapeutic, I mean, that's, that's why so many of us do it. That's why you have people that they call soul surfers who basically do nothing but surf, live out of the van and only work as much as they need to, to support their surf habit. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's, uh, you know, it literally can be very addictive. Um, in a good did you way, ever take a opinion. crack at it yourself? Uh, I, I don't did. know if I ever asked you before. Yeah, when I uh, the first time I taught a training in uh, in Hawaii, um, one of my students was a surf instructor actually, and he he taught me how to surf. Um, now these were incredibly easy waves. Were you, um, uh, in the, like Waikiki or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah those um, are still fun. So even though they're easy, they're still fun. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. It was it was awesome. We'll teach you how to do it when uh, with your eyes closed the next time you make it out to San Diego. Nice, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess if if you have time, I have I have maybe one or two things I want to see if we can get into briefly. Sure. Yeah, so um, so sort of connected to probably relevant thing to talk about before we get into the last thing I'm going to ask you for is how do you make sure you're using this stuff for good? And as much as you reference Emperor Palpatine, you're, you know, being less of an asshole. Uh, the question is, how do I, how do you make sure you're using your hypnosis and NLP powers for good? Uh, very, yeah, it's a I'm good thinking question, of your ecology actually. check in particular. Yeah. And it was well, a very good question. I mean, I like to think it's pretty natural for me, but honestly, it's not so natural for everybody. Some people have to actually put conscious thought into that. Um, literally, uh, you know, for me, it's just pretty natural. I mean, I, I, I like helping people. I, and I don't like hurting people and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't like, uh, I don't like manipulating people. I don't like, I don't like any of that stuff, but quite frankly, there are some people that kind of are more naturally the opposite that want to change. Um, it's an interesting slight side topic. Uh, I posted something not too long ago about how I'm working with, or, uh, been working with a narcissist. Yeah. Um, it was, I, I think you said that, um, they were like a professor or something, uh, or a scientist say, wait, of some kind. No, you, I didn't well, mention that. Oh, maybe you didn't mention it, but you you alluded to him being a pretty uh, smart guy. Smart guy, at the very least. Uh, yeah, and and uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth and identify the client. So try yeah, to. Well, uh, unfortunately, a lot of narcissists are very intelligent. Um, you know, which makes them oftentimes go down the dark side. Um, but nonetheless, uh, uh, you know, this guy actually he want he want you know he wanted, and I did say wanted because I, I can't give. De- I part of me would love to give no, that's more fine. details I, I, because I, you're it's really so good exciting about respecting the confidentiality of your clients unless they give their permission. That's exactly. One so, exactly. That, so if you do decide to work with Kevin, he's good at keeping secrets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of comes with the territory. Um, but nonetheless, I'm literally excited about some of the changes he's been making lately and just amazing things, amazing shifts. But, but I, I can share some without giving, without giving too many details. Um, and just simply put, so yeah, he, he reached out saying that he wanted help changing this. He doesn't want to, you know, he, he wants to be doing, you know, being less of a narcissist to use his words. Um, so anyway, for example, for somebody like that, that just, they naturally are more of a selfish kind of person, which does exist. And that doesn't make somebody a bad person for that either, by the way. Um, especially if they're really wanting to, 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 uh, to change it. Um, 
So nonetheless, um, very simple in regards to, like you said, the ecology check, you just simply be asking yourself, is what you're doing good for, for you? Meaning like, if I was to ask, is this good for me? Of course is, you know, if it's, you know, you know, it's going to be good for me if I'm looking, if, uh, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Sorry. Um, that's not going to be such an important question to ask, but it's a standard question I ask, which is, is it good for me? Is it good for others? Is it ideally good for the planet? Okay. I say ideally good for the planet because we just do the best we can, but really to simplify what I'm getting at as I kind of babbled a little bit, sorry, listeners, um, is just simply ask yourself, is this good for the other person? Is this a win-win in the, in the classic words of, of Stephen Covey, win-win or no deal. And that works both ways. Okay. Win-win. It's like, is it, it, it do you, do you win? Does the other person win? Uh, if not, then no deal. And if you, if somebody is like, well, I want to make sure that I'm really using it to help other people and I'm not being selfish, then simple, just be focused more on, is this really good for the other person? Is this really helping the other person? And if it's not, then no deal. Um, uh, on a, on a valuable component that I'll throw in there. Why not? Um, some people might say, well, how do you focus more on the other person? Um, one of the things that I helped this gentleman to do was to, to see things through the eyes of other people. Okay. A little dramatic pause, let that sink in without having total radio silence. Um, but, but that's the simple, but really magic formula for compassion. Okay. Um, somebody that's too focused on themselves. Yes. They're focused on themselves and they can get very tunnel visioned. They can get very tunnel visioned on what they're getting out of something. And they can get just, oftentimes they can get very excited about that. It's like, ah, yes, I get to have this. I get to have this. I get to have this. And they can become almost like a kid about it, but a very selfish bratty kid. Okay. Um, but when they slow down, and they imagine stepping inside of someone else, seeing things through their eyes and noticing how, your, how their actions affect other people, that's where they start feeling that compassion. That's where they start having a better understanding. And that's, uh, it's not as simple as that as just, oh, that's it. And, you know, session, you know, work done. But that's a really significant start. Really significant start. Beautiful. So I, I asked that question because I think it's important before I ask you to, to, to share this last little bit. And, I was, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, I assume obviously if somebody wants deep stuff to get into deep stuff, you do have, um, you do not just in person, uh, which fortunately for the times in which we live, you do uh, sessions over Skype or usually Zoom, I think most of the time. Yeah, for uh, online stuff, work with people literally all over the world um, via mostly Zoom these days. Yeah, um, if somebody wants to to get in touch with you for that, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, one of the simplest ways just give me a call. Give me a call direct at seven zero two six two six. Four nine zero one. Uh, you can also go to my private practice website, which is Las Vegas 
hypnosiscenter.com. Um, obviously, by the name, you can tell it's I'm in Las Vegas. Um, so if you happen to be in Las Vegas, you'd like to work with me, uh, you know, uh, in person, we can certainly do that, provided uh, you know you feel comfortable doing that. So the whole COVID things, you know, uh, you know, if people have like you know obesity, COPD, things like that, I say let's do it Zoom, let's play it safe, keep you healthy. Um, but, uh, but I let my clients decide in that regard. Uh, but, um, a, a large percentage of my clients these days, uh, I do work with all over the world via zoom. And I've always done that with a small percentage of my clients. Um, you know, for, for about 15 years, I've been working with people via, via Skype, um, which is very similar to zoom, just a little bit different. Um, so yeah. Cool. So, um, now all of that being said, so if you want the deep stuff and you want the direct help, um, Kevin, can uh can work with you um i can work with you but i'm not working with too many people i think kevin is would you'd probably be better served by working with kevin so um in any case uh so if they want direct help they can absolutely work with you um is there any sort of um simple technique that people can implement uh moving forward that can either up level their performance uh just a general principle they can do uh, or it can apply so that they're maybe elevating their performance, their ability to do difficult and scary things. Hmm. Uh, very good question. Um, two things. One, it's going to sound super basic, but it's so important, so important. And quite frankly, most people do it wrong, um, is learning how to breathe properly. Just proper diaphragmatic belly breathing. Um, uh, Tricky to demonstrate via via a very short period of time, um, especially on uh, you know on an non- audio podcast. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but just go on just go on YouTube, look up belly breathing. There's no shortage of videos teaching how to do it. Um, but that's the way we were born breathing. That's the way we need to be breathing if we want to be in balance. If we're not breathing properly, we are not going to be emotionally balanced. And quite frankly, in case you didn't notice. By looking around, especially these days, most people are not emotionally balanced. Um, but that's that first step, that foundation is through proper belly breathing. Okay, so that's that's step one, if you will. Um, the second is uh, call me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, sort of. <laughs> um, the second is especially for sports enhancement for sport for performance, um, and and this does I do apply this I sincerely do apply this to people that are blind as well is to practice mental rehearsal. Now there might be some adjustments for that for somebody that is blind, um, but when I say mental rehearsal, you're just imagining that. Yeah, you you heard uh, uh, you may or may not have heard uh, 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 Joshua say earlier that he's very creative. That means visual, okay? It's like we imagine these things in our mind. Um, but uh, what's called mental rehearsal is just imagining, pr- literally pretending, just like you're a kid. You pretend things, you pretend. When you're a kid, you, you, you pretend that you can run faster than everybody else, okay? Um, th- by doing that, that gives you an edge, Okay. There's more to it, and there's lots of different ways of fine-tuning that. Um, but there's a lot of science to to what's called mental rehearsal, uh, especially when it comes to sports enhancement. Um, uh, um, people might be familiar with uh, Michael Phelps. 
um, who is a... I think he's still like the the most decorated Olympian in American history and uh, actually possibly world history. Possibly. Uh, I didn't even know he's most decorated. Uh, yeah, I honestly, he's, he's certainly up there in terms of the number of medals he's earned over the years. Uh, that I definitely, I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's uh, arguably the, the, the world's best and fastest swimmer. Um, and that may not even be much of an argument. Um, that said, I, I remember... Uh, I remember it was quite a few years ago. Somebody just said randomly, they said like, what's up with Michael Phelps face? What's up with that? And I got curious, you know, cause I'm not, I don't really watch the Olympics. Honestly, for me, I find them kind of boring to be honest with you. I'd, you know, I prefer to be doing stuff, not just be watching it. Um, but I, I checked out Michael Phelps and I'm watching him and he's got this intense face. He's like, his face is all scrunched up, but it just kind of, you know, he doesn't make the sound, but it's kind of like, you know, he doesn't make the sound, but it looks like it. Um, and I'm like, Oh, I know exactly what he's doing in his mind. He is mentally rehearsing. He is imagining he's pretending that he's going faster and stronger than everybody else in that pool, that he's lapping them faster and stronger than everybody else. Okay. Where everybody else is they're stretching and things like that, which is very important to do as well. And I imagine that he probably already did all of those things before getting right to, to before, you know, game time, if you will, before swim time, if you will. And so he's, he's, you know, and that's, it, it's kind of a secret weapon, honestly. Sorry to give it away, uh, uh, Michael, um, <laughs> but that's what he's doing. Um, and that's a huge advantage. There was actually, um, a few different studies, but one that comes to mind in the moment that's, that's, uh, interesting and easy for me to remember. Um, it didn't have to do with sports. It was a, a study that was done regarding people that have never played the piano. They had no musical instrument, uh, t- teaching, training, skill, none of it. Okay. And what they did was they taught them a simple five finger piano exercise. So actually doing it physically. Okay. With their five fingers, um, or four fingers and a thumb, if you want to get technical. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> And they, then what they told them, they said, okay, they, they separated them into three control groups to make it a, a scientific study. Said control group A, what we want you to do is we want you to be physically practicing it, actually f- practicing it physically, okay, with your hand. Control group B, we don't want you practicing it physically. We only want you imagining it in your mind. Just, just, uh, just, ima- just pretending that you're doing it in your mind. Okay. And then in control group C, they said, go, go live your life. Like you always have. Don't, don't be doing anything in regards to playing the piano. We'll say they had him come back two weeks later. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but we'll say two weeks. And what they found to them at least was fascinating. And to me was, it wasn't fascinating because there I already kind of, I knew this stuff from other studies and just from, from experience. What they found was that, that both control group A and control group B, the ones that played it physically and just the ones that played it um, in their mind, both improved at virtually the same rate. But it didn't stop there. They did before and after brain scans. They did uh, MRIs. They did brain scans. And they noticed that they developed the same kinds of neuropathways. 
their brains literally developed in the same kind of way, whether they were physically doing it or mentally rehearsing it, just imagining it in their mind, which gives a, a, a great deal more evidence to, to a, a quote that I'm going to say, but I don't agree with, and I'll explain. Um, but for, I don't know how long, for a long time, people have said that the, uh, our mind and body doesn't know the difference between what we vividly imagine, what we vividly pretend, and what actually occurs. Now, I'm a little bit of a stickler in regards to being precise, so I say that's not technically true. Because otherwise, we'd all go to a horror movie and we'd all die of heart attacks. <laughs> <laughs> we'd all be, you know, freaking out, running out of there because a part of us still knows it's not real. So it's not, uh, it's not the exact same, but it's the next best thing. And it absolutely gives you a significant edge, a significant edge. And, you know, definitely, you know, be especially speaking specifically to, to blind surfers on this one. Um, I don't know. So, so, so don't just take my word for it and say, okay, so I'm going to just be visualizing hundred percent and just be doing that in the way that Kevin said, I don't know, but I do recommend trying it and, and noticing how well it works for you. Um, uh, in and addition, it's something yeah. you can do what, you know, certainly add to your physical training. It's not like exactly. you can't do it. It's not like, it's not like this is an either or proposition where if you're an athlete out there or if you're trying to accomplish some goal, don't practice the skill actually only imagine that's not what you're saying you're saying exactly. that this would enhance their existing training and preparation for exactly whatever they're trying to exactly exactly i'm not one of those that says just imagine working out and you'll build a massive amount of muscle um oh, there <laughs> were some people that thing. claimed that one time oh, okay actually okay so if, if, if you have a minute and I, I know we said yeah. that was gonna be the last thing yeah go ahead um you posted some wildly head-scratching uh thing about not like exercising is bad for losing weight or something like what was this mm -hmm. that you, you post? Do you remember yeah. the thing? You, it was just in the last couple of days, I think actually. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, well, I do kind of know somebody wrote a book, somebody that's considered highly credible, wrote a book saying that, that exercise does not help you to lose weight. Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm an open-minded skeptic. So when I first started hearing that and like seeing other people, I'm like, maybe they're right. I could be wrong. Well, by itself, um, it, you can eat too much for, you know, to, you know, cause you are, if you're going to lose weight, you will need to have a calorie deficit in that correct. respect. So correct. that part's true. However, there's a difference between you can't exercise away all of your calories and, it's not going to help you. Yeah. That, that, uh, there's yeah. A, there's, there's a huge distinction. Yeah. There, well, and there's a few variables here. Um, to back up on one, so, there's actually an exception to what you just said. It's an exception. Um, but uh, sometimes it's not even a calorie deficit to help people lose weight because sometimes people are actually, they're, uh, they're eating like, for example, just one big meal at the end of the day. And so their, their body has been in... Uh, uh, ketosis, you know, yeah. uh, ketosis or, or however you want to call it, I call it yep. starvation. Um, but, 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 but what I mean specifically is that, and then they go and eat a whole, if they're just, if they're doing the keto thing, that's different. Okay. 
but uh, yeah, there's a lot of people do intermittent fasting and they seem to have a pretty good luck with what you're talking about. Uh, yes, especially when they do it via a keto diet, which is, you know, yep. very, very little carbs. Yep. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. Um, what I mean is that somebody that just, you know, they eat one big meal at the end of the day, full carbs, proteins, all of it. Okay. Um, and then it's just their metabolism just slows down to a halt and has gone into starvation mode. So it just stores all of that, including those carbs, um, or maybe even especially those carbs, because it's like, oh, we haven't had that all day. So we'll latch onto that. And sometimes, sometimes people actually can lose weight uh, by sometimes, as crazy as it might sound, sometimes by actually eating a little bit more. But, and this is where... Well, it, 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 yeah. And it, I, it, I say it's, it, it's a general rule for this stuff overall. Uh, yes, but but again, the, the significant but is that that the, the difference is that between the eating that one meal at the end of the day is that if people start spreading those meals out throughout the day, smaller portions throughout the day, it naturally speeds up their metabolism. And yes, I, I, if somebody really does that, I can virtually guarantee they will start losing weight. Um, so that's just that one sure. uh, distinction in regards to the uh, you know every once in a while I've helped people. To, it's it's not the it's not the norm. It's the exception. Right. right. But every once in a while, it's not necessarily a calorie deficit. Now that's it. Backing up to uh, the exercise component. Y okay. You can exercise not enough. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you can exercise, and you can exercise too much, and that right. can cause problems too. But sure. just simply put. Um, whoever did the, did this quote unquote scientific study, which in my opinion is about as non-scientific as it gets, um, because it didn't take in, you know, science is about taking it, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's about understanding and looking for different variables that could change the outcome. I don't think this guy did that, but anyway, um, simply put. Uh, exercise speeds. Yes, it burns some calories. First of all, exercise does burn some calories. Usually not that much. Um, usually like a maximum of 100 or 200 calories, which is not a lot. But that's not the point. That's not the biggest point of exercising. By exercising, especially cardio, it speeds up your metabolism. So you burn calories at a more efficient rate. And go figure, it's also healthier for you. Um, but that's you know, that's why I uh, I kind of brought that up was was because it, it's just it's kind of silly in my opinion to for somebody to say that exercise doesn't help you to lose weight that's simply not true. But what oh and and uh, to back up for a moment, um, what far too many people do that does make it so that exercising doesn't help them to lose lose weight and sometimes it actually causes them to gain weight is because if somebody like, you know, works out really heavy, does a lot of cardio or just any kind of, you know, heavy physical activity. I mean, you're in martial arts, you work out right. all the time. Sure. Um, go figure, you're going to get hungry. And as a culture, um, and it's not just American culture, it's a lot of cultures, we, we tend to eat more visually. And speaking of being mindful, like you're on that surfboard and just being very present with it, it's very important to slow down Mm -hmm. during your meals and pay attention to what your stomach feels like. 
is most of us, and I can't speak for for you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be reach. I, I don't know when it comes to to, to blind, uh, being blind. Um, no, so again, the imagination. I would be interested on that. I would. It, it's kind of well. There's an interesting little little. Again, another rabbit trail is that there is a profound higher rate of obesity. It's actually very relevant to the discussion we're having, actually. Mm -hmm. A very more pronounced rate of obesity amongst the visually impaired. Mm. So that's that's people who are totally blind and people with just partial eyesight. Mm. As compared with people in other segments of the population. Mm. Now, maybe that – and interestingly enough is that we are, as a class of people – Mm-hmm. Speaking about you know me and and my fellow pe- you know visually impaired folks, that, that we are conditioned to live a more sedentary existence. So could be. Well, it's it's not even could be. It's it's you look at what you know. We're, what are we encouraged to do? We're encouraged to you know if we do take jobs, we take office jobs. If we do take jobs, we don't take jobs that are physical in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, up until you know for a long time. Other than maybe some very forward-thinking wrestling coaches, you didn't have a lot of visually impaired people doing athletics, mm. and so you, you know, um, makes sense. Actress, yeah, yeah, makes sense. But you were um, talking about the perception of your ability to perceive hunger. I did find that once I lost my eyesight, it took me a while to be aware of portion size, mm. things like that. Because when I lost my eyesight, I was fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when I hit my 20s, when I kind of filled out in terms of my, you know, how large my body was, mm-hmm. I started gaining a significant amount of weight. Mm-hmm. I think at least in part because I wasn't able to really cleanly judge my portion size as, as compared with the size of my body, if that makes any sense. It makes, makes total sense. And I imagine there are other variables that come into play, um, you know, especially when you first lost your I made really bad food choices too. <laughs> it didn't help that I was eating lots and lots of fast food. <laughs> um, certainly, that certainly doesn't help. But uh, but also, I mean, you know, when you're 15, you just lose your eyesight, probably bummed you out a bit. And, you know, people oftentimes when they're bummed out, they overeat. Um, so there's, there's, there's lots of variables. And that's yeah. the thing. It's, it's, you know, when it comes to... There's so many variables when it comes to to weight issues. Um, it's it it's not necessarily complicated, but there's a lot of variables. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yep. And 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 kind of le- winding it down, I guess. Pretty soon here, you have used uh, your various techniques to help people make better food choices that they intellectually know. Are good for them, but that emotionally they have difficulty making. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, anything from helping people to to eat less of something that they know they shouldn't be that they want to stop eating as much of, all the way to you know, literally in as little as minutes, helping them to never eat it again if they choose. Um, you know, and you can also help, yeah. if somebody hates vegetables, you can help yeah. oh, flip yeah. it the other way. Oh yeah, that's a fun one actually. I really like doing that. <laughs> um, you know, again, they gotta want it. Um, sure. But uh, but yeah, that's that's a that's a really fun one to help people enjoy healthier foods much more. Um, uh, to help you enjoy drinking water more. Um, you know, just yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Well, hey, Kevin, this is, has been totally awesome. I I know we went longer probably than you expected, but when has a conversation with me ever been short? <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
<laughs> all good. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm, yeah, I really had nothing else going on tonight, so it's all good. This is awesome. So yeah, if, uh, I, and I, I can't, you know, as much as technically I could help you, I know, I know a few things, uh, most of which I learned from, from Kevin. Um, Kevin does this more often than I do, and he's been doing it for longer. So uh, my, uh, my first suggestion is if you got the opportunity to work with Kevin, work with him, uh, look him up. Uh, I guess if, again, that's uh, Las Vegas Hypnos- Hypnosis Center. Is that right? Yeah. Las Vegas Hypnosis Center.com. Um, or, you know, again, just give me a call direct 702-626-4901. Cool. And I assume that if they eventually want to learn how to do this stuff, um, as things open up, you may consider doing some trainings in the future. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That? Okay. So you, you still plan on doing trainings com- uh, as things become available to do so? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We'll definitely be doing uh, full certification trainings, you know, teaching people how to do what I do. Um, I just don't have anything currently scheduled because of the whole COVID thing. That and I'm just super busy with my private practice seeing one-on-one clients. So the combination of the two, uh, um, you know, uh, don't have anything scheduled as far as the trainings. Yeah. All right. Well, it, we'll we'll keep our, our uh, literal and metaphorical eyes peeled on uh, on your website. So uh, thanks again, and until next time. As always, adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you.